Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a personal finance blogger here in New Zealand. And in this podcast, I chat to a diverse bunch of people, I learn their story, and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips, and point of view on personal finance right here in Aotearoa. Okay, let's get into today's episode. I've been following Brady for a couple of years now via her Instagram account, Kiwi Girl on a Budget, as she and her husband Paul moved out from underneath $566,000 of mortgage debt spread across their own home and three 100% financed interest-only mortgage investment properties and into positive territory and debt freedom for the first time in their adult lives. Plus, we've met up with Brady and Paul a number of times now, always a fantastic experience. And I can assure you that when two people who are interested in personal finance hit it off, any conversation turns to money and investing pretty darn quick. It's almost a relief in a way to find like-minded people that I can learn from and not appear like the weirdo in the room for asking so many questions. I've interviewed her three times now in episodes number one, number 14, and also number 54 of my podcast, but I wanted to catch up for another revisit because she remains a poster girl for budgeting and showing that if you make a rough plan and stick to it, then you can achieve your goals. But before I get into it, I wanted to share with you a message about my favourite budgeting app and sponsor of this episode, Pocketsmith. At the moment, it feels like my Pocketsmith budget is in a competition with itself. The cost of so many things that I track in my family's budget is rising, but now is also an excellent time to invest more money because the share markets are down and shares are on sale. Pocketsmith has taught me that what is measured is managed, and if I pay close attention at this time, I can find the right balance. By simply tracking what we earn and spend, I can create as big a gap between those numbers as possible. So that's exactly what I've been doing, focusing on earning more, trimming our expenses and freeing up money that I can then invest. When I first began using Pocketsmith over three years ago, I never anticipated that it would help me navigate such a weird economic time. I honestly don't think I would feel so in control of our money without it. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. Go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver to get your deal. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. When Brady and I last chatted back in April of 2021, they were out of debt. They'd enjoyed a bit of a spend up buying all those things that they had deferred while they focused on smashing debt. Then they immediately started investing 20% of their combined after-tax income and had just upped this to 50% when we spoke. A 50% savings rate is pretty hardcore. They were looking to invest $70,000 a year, which coincidentally is what they used to pay off their debt per year. This means they went from aggressively paying down debt to aggressively investing. With retirement inching ever closer, they're both in their early 50s, Brady knows they have some catching up to do, so they were on a sprint. They continued to remain debt-free, they both worked full-time, and when we spoke their investments, which included their KiwiSaver, two ETF funds of New Zealand Top 50 and US 500, plus a New Zealand government bond fund, had hit a tidy $300,000. The value of their home was also inching closer to the $1 million mark. Even after having sold their three rental properties to help clear debt, the value of their remaining house had them a little concerned that they were still too property heavy. 
Property values have risen so much in recent years that the value of their house in Tiawamutu was far in excess of their other investments, and they were looking to change this. They had created a five-year plan to have $1 million invested in share investments so that when they choose to eventually stop work, this invested money will generate an income for them. And once they hit that FI number or that financial independence number, work will become more optional for them. And then if they choose to, they could reduce their hours or they could stop work and begin to apply the 4% rule to their investments. Now, for those new to this podcast, the 4% rule is when you invest 25 times your annual expenses into funds such as your KiwiSaver and or broad ETFs or index funds such as the New Zealand Top 50 and the US 500, then once a year you can withdraw or sell off 4% of your portfolio and this is your income for the coming year. The rest is left to grow and compound over time. And in Brady and Paul's case, $1 million invested could provide them with an income of $40,000 a year. And because Brady is such an excellent budgeter and knows exactly what they spend and where, she knows they can live a good life on this. So that is where we left off last time, working towards their fine number of a million dollars. But I know for a fact that things have moved on at a cracking pace. So let me fill you in. Where are they now? We spoke again in mid-March of 2022. They walked the Rootburn track, as they told me that they would. But apart from that, most of what she told me was all new. They have been extremely busy. How things have changed in just a year, she said. She summed the last year up as being both remarkable and rapid, and she said she still often reflects back on the 39 months that she and Paul did it tough, working hard and living extremely frugally to pay off their $566,000 debts. It was back around 2016, a month after her much-loved sister had died, that they decided that things needed to change in a drastic way, and they began their debt-free journey. She has no doubt that this awareness that life is precious and this short, sharp, frugal stint has changed the trajectory of their whole life and it has given them the platform to reach for the stars. She didn't want to sugarcoat the fact that this short period of time was really hard yakka, selling of property, selling cars, clearing credit card debt and working, working, working. They instigated a self-imposed lockdown before they were even a thing of not spending any money unnecessarily. If they had not done 39 months of frugality, making them debt-free by April 2019, there is no way they would be where they are today. So it's with these memories in her mind that she explained their latest moves. As 2021 progressed, selling the family home that they built all those years ago and that they now owned freehold went from being a vague thought to a reality. Their three children had all left home and Brady and Paul wanted to move to a smaller house because they no longer needed all that space. In June, July of that year, they decided that they wanted to build a home and they found a section and signed a building contract and got things underway. They spent a good six months, a lot of their time and a fair sum of money making the house immaculate for going on sale for its future owners, which had me asking the question, how did they afford to begin the build of a new house without selling their home first? In a surprising move, they borrowed to build. I say surprising because I know how suffocated she felt by their debt the first time around. She said that it was really hard for them to take the risk and do it this way, and it was bloody scary, she said. But they wanted to transition from one house to the other, not sell, move, rent, move, etc. They didn't know that it would work out as well as it has financially, but they really had to take a calculated risk and take the plunge. 
Their hope from switching from one house to another was that after their house was sold and all the bills were paid on their new home, they'd be able to free up $200,000 that they could then put into their investments, getting them closer to their goal of having $1 million invested. To do so would make it worth it. They could have sat in their comfort zone and then nicely updated Fare and not moved, but it would have held them back from retiring a bit earlier, which is what they would like to do. When so much equity is tied up in your home, you're a bit stuck, she said. And believe me, I hear what she is saying because I'm in exactly that position. Too much money in our house, not enough invested in assets that pay me a yearly income. There are a lot of ifs, buts and maybes, but they took on a whopping $950,000 interest-only mortgage knowing it was only going to be for a short period of time. This debt-free loving Kiwi feels a lump in her throat at this and was amazed that the bank gave it to them just like that, she said. No hesitation. But it meant that they could buy the land and pay the house bills progressive payments, drawing down on what is effectively a gigantic overdraft as needed, paying interest on the portion that they have drawn down on. They're not trying to pay it off. It was just to tie them over until the sale of their property goes through in May of 2022. At that time, they'll become completely debt-free again. They locked in a build for $950,000, which included the cost of the section, which was $300,000, and needed to sell their home for $1,150,000 to come out with $200,000 of spare cash. As they prepared their house for sale, they kept looking around them at the value of the property selling in their area, and it just kept going up and up and up. Now, this podcast is not a critique of the state of house prices in New Zealand. It's simply to explain what happened in the case of these two. Their home ended up selling for $1,550,000, which she said was far, far, far beyond their expectations. It means, of course, that they have freed up not $200,000, but $600,000, money which, once they receive it, will be invested. It's fair to say that they were gobsmacked at the price their home sold for. When we spoke, the real estate market was still roaring ahead, although in the weeks after our chat, if news headlines were anything to go by, it was starting to slow. Despite the hot market they found themselves selling in, where it seemed that all you had to do was plonk a for sale sign out front and someone would buy it, they did use a real estate agent to sell. Why give up a chunk of the sale price, I asked? Did they consider a private sale as others I've interviewed have successfully done? Brady said that in the month leading up to the house going on the market, they were heavily involved with their agent. The photos they took were excellent, and they managed all the inquiries extremely professionally. They ended up in a multi-offer situation, and they helped Paul and Brady negotiate to get the best price. She said that when you have a lot of money tied up in a decision like that, they felt more comfortable having someone independent and impartial working for you, so they were okay with paying the fees of close to $40,000. She said that they could not have achieved the final outcome by themselves and they feel their agent worked hard for their huge whack of money. And at the end of the day, all she and Paul had to do was make sure the house was staged and clean and walk out and leave them to it. With the house sale proceeding at the same time as they were building, as luck would have it, their house sale became unconditional on the very same day they had their roof shout on their new build. It was a special day, she said, and a remarkable outcome for them both. There is no backing out now. While all this was working its way through, they have consistently been investing as aggressively as they can from their annual combined gross income of about $165,000, aiming for that 50% investment rate each month. They don't always reach it, it's a stretch goal they have set, 
but they sure do try. And when we spoke, their combined investments, including their KiwiSaver and ETFs, had grown to around $350,000, while at the same time they were cash flowing other expenses. So, do the math. When they add $600,000 to this, they are only $50,000 short of their investment goal of $1 million, plus a freehold house. They are now tantalizingly close to work becoming optional. She wanted to point out that bold things are possible and good things come from it. They have taken a risk, but it is working out. I know that this crazy housing market is so stressful for so many, but I find it really interesting to hear what people who are selling in this market are actually doing with these gains. We don't often hear about that. And don't worry, it's not lost on them with three children in their 20s that the market is tough for so many. I asked Brady what she would like to get across to the people who are listening to this and have been following along with their journey. I know her backstory, but others may not, and she doesn't want to give the impression that they have not put in the mahi or the work to get to this point. They recently made another large cash purchase and crossed off another milestone. They bought a brand new $40,000 car. They sold their old car for $5,000 and paid the remaining thirty-five dollars in cash. This is so significant because it was six years to the day that they had sold the car they could not afford for $15,000. They used to look wealthy, but it was an illusion. They couldn't afford the fancy car. When they sold that car, they used $8,000 of it to buy a reliable Toyota Corolla. They paid off their credit card and they started an emergency fund. In just six short years, they had the means to pay cash for a brand new car, no payments, no restriction in any other part of their life. They could easily afford this car and their net worth was now high enough that it was mathematically okay to do so. And this is a huge change from just six years ago. She wants to stress that if you have a plan to actively get rid of debt, to work hard and invest hard, it can pay off for you in a reasonably short period of time. She said that when they did it, they were so weird. It was so drastic to sell a car she loved. But they really took the bull by the horns and they lived as frugally as they could. And that jolt to their system has paid off for them in the end. In six years, which included that intense 39-month period of time, they have gone from feeling suffocated by debt to feeling very comfortable with life and completely in control of their putia or money. She shared the excitement of this new car purchase with a friend, telling them that six years to the day that they were forced to sell a car they could not afford to pay off debt, they have bought a new car for cash. The friend said that at the time she did that, We all thought you were mad, but we were wrong. Even her mum said that she had been worried about Brady working to such a tight budget and going without, selling her car, slashing her spending. Surely, she said, you could spend some money on yourself. But every time Brady would explain that they were working as a team, her and Paul, they were on a plan, they knew it would work, and that it was only for a short period of time. Given that the property market has gone up, I know that there will be some people listening who think that $566,000 of debt spread over a number of properties was low, and if they had held on, they would be feeling pretty smug right now. But things were different just six short years ago. That amount of debt was considered a lot, and this was before the property market had this huge run. She has had a number of staunch property-at-all-cost people message her and say, why did you sell? So what does Brady say to those people who think they should have held all of their properties? Put simply, they could not service the debt, 
and it was a huge burden and a huge weight upon their shoulders. They were living beyond their means, propping their lifestyle up with credit cards while making sure they could service the loan payments. All it would have taken was a property to remain untenanted or a tenant not paying on time, and it could have tipped them over the edge. She said that they lived in fear of the bank knocking on their door, and she wanted to stand in her truth and just face it head on, and that included selling. Nothing down, interest-only property is not the kind of stress they could live with, and they do not have one single moment of regret for selling any of them, because when you think about it, they barely owned any of them in the first place. And the reality for them is that now, once the sale of their property is completed and their temporary mortgage is paid in full, they are wealthier with far more disposable income than most property investors out there. They will soon have $1 million cash invested in incredible national and global companies that returns them a steady income without the hassle of debt and all the complexities of owning investment property in Aotearoa. And they will no longer need the bank except to store cash that they need in the short term. So once this is all settled, it's goodbye bank and no need to worry anymore about rising interest rates, possible government changes to investment property taxation, tenants not paying, yada, yada, yada. And this is why I think it's so important to share this story, because owning property is a giant headache for so many people, and if they actually did the math of their entire financial situation, they would see poor or even negative returns. But often, it's too complicated to even work it out. The problem with having so much debt against property is that this strategy fails to take life into account. I guess I could see the point if people have a clear path, a clear strategy, and a clear time frame for this investment, but most people don't, and most people I meet, even if they do have one or a number of properties, are still at work themselves. What use are those assets when you don't get to collect a single dollar of rent? Brady and Paul have a much better life balance now and a clear idea of their future. Brady is still constantly adjusting to their new situation and still constantly learning something new every single day. They are grateful through planning and luck to have timed their sale right, but she mentioned that she said to Paul recently that she can't believe how this journey has evolved. Although they started with a plan, it's constantly changed and is quite fluid and adaptable, meaning that they need to evolve with it. Getting more for their home than they anticipated has opened up a whole new list of possibilities for them both and her thinking is still evolving. For example, she woke up at 3am recently, pondering and worrying about how she is going to grow their money so that they can meet their fine number of $1 million, and then apply the 4% rule. When it occurred to her in a light bulb moment, Brady, you have already almost made the money, now you just need to get the passive income from that. She only reached this aha moment a couple of short weeks ago. This realisation should also help solve the dilemma she is having at the moment about whether to engage a financial advisor or not. Many are giving her their opinion that she really should, but she has come to the realisation that she is comfortable with the financial decisions they've already made and with the investments they are planning to add to shortly. She knows what they want to do and what they want to achieve. In addition to their KiwiSaver deposits, she started investing in ETFs in May of 2019 with $1,400 a month. This month, they are going to pop in nine grand. I actually saw an Instagram post as I was writing this episode up, and she actually managed to pop in $9,500. She has spent two and a half years testing the waters of investing and has educated herself as to how to do it, how it works, and when she plans to use this investment. 
When they get the lump sum from the sale of their home, this is where the money will go, all of it. So while I don't discount the merits of using a fee-only independent financial advisor, I think that at this point their role would be to support the decisions that she's already making. I have a theory on people freaking out about their ability to make financial decisions of their own in the share market, and it has to do with how comfortable they feel around the size of their investment. With housing, if a house sells for $500,000, we think, oh, that was pretty cheap. If it sells for a million dollars these days, we're like, yeah, that was pretty much the average price. These big, big numbers feel entirely comfortable now. But with the share market, given so many have avoided it for so long, thanks so much to the 1987 share market crash and everyone's uncle, parent, grandparent or acquaintance losing their shirt, we don't understand it and we therefore feel deeply uncomfortable putting money in or watching others do it. But if you are like Brady and myself and have been investing for some time, have been actively learning and educating ourselves, we feel really comfortable. If anything, we feel impatient to get as much as we can invested so that it can become the goose that lays the golden eggs from here on in. Brady sees their current investments of $350,000 as great, but she knows that $1 million is even better. She points out that a rolling stone gathers no moss, and Brady said that when you are first debt-free, well, it's not going to stay the same for long. You rapidly move ahead into accumulating money, as she has done. Now, because they are so close to their fine number, she is starting to think ahead to the next phase, starting to use the income their investments will generate. Most of us wait until the age of 65 to stop work and start to gently use the nest eggs we've built up over a lifetime of working. Brady and Paula in the process of starting to work out how to do it now while they're in their 50s. When they first started the journey, they wanted to be debt-free by 50. Well, they smashed that goal out early. The next goal was to be a millionaire. Well, they smashed that one too. Then she said, you are looking into fire, financial independence, retire early, and starting to find out what that is all about. She said that you need your particular goal for the time you are in and that you want to look ahead, but not too far ahead. Always keep attainable goals is her advice. For example, fire would not have felt attainable when they first started, but it is now. But she did or does always have lofty goals or stretch goals, and that is what she would encourage you and I to do. She remembers one particular time, both were working full-time, but Paul was really grafting and hustling and picking up extra shifts to put more money towards their house mortgage. One particular time she said to him, I'm going to put the mortgage payments up to take my whole pay, meaning that they would live off his income only. It was a real stretch goal, a lofty goal, but they did it, it worked, and you can achieve more than you think you can. Now, the next stage or the next goal is going to be to make work optional, meaning that they can live off their investments alone, pulling out 4% a year to cover all of their expenses. Going to work becomes something that they want to do because they enjoy it, not something they have to do because they need the money. Plus, their investments won't need to be added to anymore, meaning that they can survive on a far smaller income of $40,000 a year. That's financial independence for you. They still continue to carefully budget their income and keep a close eye on what they are spending each month. Budgeting is a lifelong thing for them now, which I think is important to understand, because sticking to a budget is important, whatever your income. She has their fixed expenses down to just $2,300 a month, or just $27,600 a year, and is still always looking for a deal. Even the other day, she changed her power supply to a new one 
because they were giving a $200 credit. They still each give themselves $150 of fund money each month and see no need to increase this. She is always making sure she's not getting ripped off when purchasing things. And why not, she said, rather the money stays in her pocket, right? Once this house build and house sale is done, I asked if they will be done with debt. On this occasion, debt has served a specific short-term need, and while she said never say never, they don't anticipate borrowing again. Instead, they plan on reaching a point where they can live a fantastic life and can also be generous with their time and their money with those they love. Righto, before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Now, as you probably are aware, I love my blog and podcast. I've met many fabulous people. Brady and Paul are two of them, and I'm so thankful that they continue to share their progress with me. It's inspiring, and it gives me something to aim for, so thank you so much, guys. I love that they still can't quite believe how far they've come. They still have to pinch themselves. They are still in a transition period with the move from the old home to the new, and they won't count their chickens until it's all done and dusted in May, but they are 99% there. In a surprise move for me, they took on debt again, but instead of the vague plan that many seem to have, they have made a decisive move to take on debt and it has a clear end date in May 2022. What do I want you to take from this update from Brady and Paul? I've lost track of the emails I've received from people in their 40s, 50s and 60s saying, I've left it too late to change my financial future. Well, just take a leaf out of Brady's book. It's not too late to make a start. And when you do, commit to the process because as they have done, you too will surprise yourself at just how big a change you can make to your financial situation in a very short period of time. Not only has their financial situation improved, but their level of happiness has too. And that is what I want for everyone. Now, that was going to be the end of this podcast, but the day before I released this episode, I gave Brady another quick call for an update on this update. I can now confirm that they are 100% debt-free again. They received their money from their house sale and immediately paid off every single cent of the money they owed. With a three-week gap between moving out of their old home and getting the keys to their brand spanking new mortgage-free home, They had a three-week window where they moved between the houses of friends and into Airbnbs. When we spoke, they were actually back in New Plymouth for a long weekend, which seemed fitting because that is where their get-the-heck-out-of-debt journey first began. They also had $455,000 sitting in her bank account, waiting to be invested in two SmartShares funds on the 20th of the month. The New Zealand 50 would be getting a $100,000 boost, and the US 500 just over $300,000. The remainder, or about 10%, will be invested in a bond fund, she said. In order to invest these larger sums, she phoned SmartShares to ask for some direction on how to go about it. It takes a bold move to invest that much, particularly when the share markets are down, as they currently are at the time of recording this. She said she has changed her mind about 15 times as to what to do, but she just keeps coming back to her original plan, so that is what she'll do. And now that she has made peace with her decisions, she said, How cool is that to drop $455,000 into the share market when it's on special or sale for the first time in a long time? 
Warren Buffett apparently said, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Brady is not greedy, but she is a goal-driven planner and I just love that all her cards are coming up trumps. Now that really is all from me this week, so if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could leave me a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share it with your friends. It is the best way that people can learn about the podcast and I'd love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and whanau and continue to help me help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Happy saving.